Hi, everybody. As you can see, I am John the Baptist. Good to meet you. <laughs> um, the reason why I'm doing this is today we're starting John the Baptist. But the Lord uh, said of John in Matthew 11, What did you come out into the wilderness to see? A reed broken by the wind or shaken by the wind? Did you come out to see a man in fine clothing, soft clothing, I think he says. And he says, those who are in soft clothing live in palaces. And did you go out to see a prophet? And Jesus said, yes, a prophet, but more than a prophet. And uh, so John's honey, bugs, um, locusts in particular, yeah, which turns out it is on the Levitical diet list as a clean food. Yeah? yeah? Apparently they're not that bad if they're roasted. <laughs> I have a B. But um, John's not what they expected. Right? Not at all. Living in the wilderness, dressed like this. Well, this is burlap, but, you know, couldn't get our hands on camel hair. <coughs> Cashmere is expensive. Um, and... But John, living in the wilderness, like he wasn't what they expected, and neither was Jesus what they expected. And we, therefore, the message here, as we start this and we continue in the Gospel of Matthew, is that you're going to, don't think you already know some things, because you're going to learn the unexpected. None of us know God fully. And, uh, yeah, welcome. Welcome to John Baptist Church. <laughs> Well, Duncan, there's Duncan later. <laughs> full, full immersion now, none of that sprinkling yeah. stuff. And, uh, yeah, so be ready for the unexpected. Right? Don't, don't say, hey, I think I already know this, and you probably do know quite a bit, but be ready to hear from the gospel what you're not ready for, because not, none of us know God fully. And to have the mind open to say, you know, you're going to learn new things, which is a great part. And uh, so, yeah. So, <clears throat> let's pray. So, even though I'm not a church-age believer yet, I can pray. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll open up in music, and then I'll kind of get out of this very itchy and hot thing. Father in heaven, thank you for the time we have, which we have to be your servants, your children, who just come before you to learn your word, to be... Just so grateful for all you've done for us as your children to be humble. And that is the great lesson you teach to us over and over again in your word. To be dependent on you completely and to trust you. Also to obey you like John did, like the Lord did. Obey you in all things and put our lives in your hand. When we do that, we know that everything will be just fine and we'll glorify you. So, Father, through as we look into your word Teach us and lead us into that humility and also that understanding. And may we rejoice 
in the truth that you've revealed. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All rise, please. I'm going to go back.
perfume, breeze of a life of gathering gloom, sorrow sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone cold tomb. Oh, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright. West we're leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Glorious now, behold him rise, King and God and sacrifice. I Uh, as far as um, updates on schedule for Christmas, there are no classes on uh, after that week after Christmas, which is the 26th, 27th, 28th. Unfortunately, because of booking arrangements we did months ago, I won't be able to be back for Sunday service on New Year's Eve. So uh, we won't have Sunday service on New Year's Eve. I'll make sure... In the future, that doesn't happen again, but this year it's going to happen. Uh, I've also got a, an engagement. Uh, I'm, I'm married, by the way. That sounds that's stupid. Uh, December 14th, uh, which is not this coming Thursday, the Thursday after, there won't be any class. So Thursday, December 14th, it's a holiday thing for my little girl that I want to go to. So uh, The... Except for the 14th, that's updated on the website. So I'll make sure I add the 14th today uh, before I go. All right. Any questions, let me know. Uh, oh, and Zoom meetings are now at 3 o'clock on Mondays. Not 4, but 3. Uh, I know they're changing a lot, but we're trying to accommodate everybody. And what we're, the person we're actually trying to accommodate is a wonderful listener of ours who lives in Great Britain, and she stays up till midnight to join the Zoom meeting. So we're going to let her go to bed at midnight and only have to stay up till 11. <coughs> All right. So let's start in Jeremiah chapter 3. And we're, uh, we're going to start um, Matthew 3 and... We didn't put in all the detail that we could have in chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew, and that, that's done on purpose. I'm not trying to skip anything. 
Uh, I'm trying to um, get us to absorb the truth of this gospel and to know that we'll come back to it. You know, so my plan is to to gain a particular uh, message that Matthew himself is bringing, and I'm not. That's why I'm not doing like all the gospels together. Because it would take us so long, and I think by the time we got to the end of it, we'd all forget what what we were here for or something. So I just want to make sure we're going to highlight some particular things. We're not going to actually talk about absolutely everything. Uh, So, Which made me think of that is the Three Kings song, which has the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We didn't talk about that at all. So that's a potential Christmas message there, maybe. So, But <clears throat> what we find now as we move to chapter 3 is between chapters 2 and 3, almost three decades, or roughly three decades, have gone by. And uh, the, the, any memory in Israel of the story of this you know, weird thing that happened in Nazareth and in Bethlehem with a virgin being with child and Mary was either cheating on Joseph or not, all of that's kind of gone by the wayside. Um, but before we get, we, we need to know what Israel is for. Um, and, and that way, when we read about it, about her or him, we call it him because God calls Israel his son, that we understand why Israel. And that's a big question for the scripture. Why Israel? And Israel is God's chosen people. God chose Abraham and Israel is Abraham's family. And Deuteronomy chapter 7, God says, I chose you because I loved you. And not because you were great, but because I loved you. Right? So they're, they're chosen. It's through Israel that God decides to bring his revelation about himself. It's all going to channel through. So think of it this way. Say like you've got on your cable box 500 channels to watch. And there's nothing on, right? It's always the thing. There's nothing to watch and I'm paying tons of money for this cable that has gourds of channels. Let's say on your cable box there's one channel that always brings you the information that you need. Or the entertainment that you like. There's one. That's the only channel you watch. And, of course, cable would make you pay for all the rest anyway, right? But Israel's that channel, right? So this is what, it's not, is Israel different than everybody else? No. So are they, you know, are we anti-Semitic when we say Israel failed, Israel failed, Israel failed? No. All have failed. It's just that God set his revelation to this channel, to this place, to these people. And he's revealing himself through them. So all of us have a place to look. And that is Israel, the family of Abraham. Conduit of revelation to the people of the world. In Abraham, as the Abrahamic covenant states in Genesis 12, in Abraham, all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And everyone who blesses Israel will be blessed. All who curse Israel will be cursed. And that is because when you bless Israel, you're blessing God. When you curse Israel, you're cursing God. Even if we say, well, we're going to curse Israel because they're being disciplined. Uh, Who are we to judge? Right? They're being disciplined. I'm being disciplined. I have no place to judge anyone. And so we don't curse them. We bless them because they represent God. 
So look at Jeremiah 3.19. Then I said, how I, this is God speaking through the prophet, how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations. And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from following me. Right, so Israel is a son. We saw this in Hosea 11. Out of Israel I called my son. In Exodus chapter 4, God said to Moses, Tell Pharaoh that Israel, these are, this people, my firstborn son. In Exodus chapter 4, God's the father, they're the son. Call me father, he says. I'll give you a pleasant land and a beautiful inheritance. It shows us truly, right, the whole purpose of the plan of God for us to be like Christ. To what end? To enjoy God. To enjoy our relationship with him, our fellowship with him, our life with him. That's really what it's all about. But Israel, however, is not a faithful son. There at verse 20, Surely as a woman treacherously departs from her lover, so you have dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. And so we go from the imagery of God as a father to God as a husband. And now her, instead of being the rebellious son, which she is depicted as that, she's also here depicted as the adulteress. And the prophet Hosea would be told, marry a harlot. And that by marrying a harlot, he would live the message that was given to Israel. In that day, just a few years, I mean, when is Jeremiah prophesying? It's just a few years before the death knell comes upon Jerusalem by God. We say by the Babylonians, but the Babylonians are only a tool in God's hands. And God, just before this, this is just years before the Babylonians come, Jeremiah is going to live through it. He's going to see it. And look at Jeremiah 3.12. Go back a few lines. God appeals to them as a loving father, and he says to repent. Return, faithless Israel, in verse 12, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God, and have scattered your favors to the strangers under every green tree. That's idol worship. And you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am a master to you, and I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Bring to Zion. This is a message of all the prophets here speaking of a kingdom. And this, I'll bring you from a city, is the regathering of them. Now, immediately after Jeremiah, the regathering is from Babylon. The captives come home. But when the captives come home, is that the kingdom of God? And some of them probably thought so, but it fails. It fails again. It always fails because <laughs> they don't have the true king. And, <clears throat> and so that's what we're going to see as we turn to John the Baptist. Bring you to Zion. So what we have here is repent, return to me, and I'll bring you to my kingdom. And this is an eternal kingdom, is it not? Second Samuel 7.16, the Davidic covenant. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. 
before me forever. Sorry, you shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Speaking to David. Notice forever. Then, as the son will be born to us in Isaiah 9.6, Isaiah 9.7 says there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. Notice forevermore. Notice it's a government. This is a kingdom. And it is clear. We could be, I could go through a hundred slides here right now and take up the entire hour just us reading passages about, I'm going to bring you to my kingdom. And it's a literal kingdom. So we see in both of these passages, here, Second Samuel, this is the Davidic covenant, and here in Isaiah where we have the prophecy of the child will be born to us, wonderful counselor, mighty God, and he establishes his kingdom forever. And then in Daniel, which here we find the son of man to Daniel, in Daniel 7.14, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. And this here shows you that this is an earthly kingdom. Now, the reason why we have to establish all of this, because there's all kinds of ideas about what the kingdom of heaven is, and uh, many, especially in our day and age, who are amillennialists, it's very popular, that they don't think that this is a literal kingdom, that it's some spiritual thing that's happening in your mind, or it's going on in heaven right now, and that's the fulfillment of it, and so on. There's all kinds of theories. But theories mean nothing, do they? Right? Theories don't mean anything because we have the Word of God. The Word of God expels all theories. The Word of God doesn't tell us everything, as we know, but it tells us solidly that God has a literal earthly kingdom ready for Israel. It's been planned all along. Uh, look at Jeremiah 5.3. O oh Lord... Jeremiah 5.3, O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. You have smitten them, but they did not weaken. Notice the beautiful parallelism that you're going to see here. You have smitten them, but they did not weaken. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. So you have smitten them is parallel with you have consumed them, and you have, but they did not weaken is parallel with they refused to take correction. And that's how Hebrew poetry goes. It's beautiful. It's repetitive, emphasizing, growing. The poem always grows and emphasizes. And here we have the fact, why didn't they weaken? Well, it turns out in the last couplet here, they have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. And repent, as we'll see, means to turn. It means, in the case of the Bible, it means to turn to God. You could say, uh, I was headed down this road and I repented and turned around and went south instead of north. That's a perfect use of that word. But in the Bible, it means to turn to God in a spiritual, moral way. So it means to change your mind, literally. But notice, their faces are harder than rock. Why? Because when I smote them, God says, they didn't weaken And this shows us that without repentance, the discipline of God makes you harder. We see it in Pharaoh. We we see it in Herod and in all the bad characters of the world. Now, so 
we see here, the people need to repent and the kingdom is coming, whether they do or they don't. And it's a literal earthly kingdom for Israel. And Malachi tells us, this is the last prophet in the Old Testament, is prophesying after the captivity, somewhere around 430 B.C. Now keep that in mind, because if he's the last one, when John the Baptist shows up, how many years have gone by since we had our last prophet around here? There were a number of them who faked it or pretended to be, even some who pretended to be messiahs. Some of their lives ended in actual uh, kind of comic end. Um, but, you know, no one's really been a true prophet in Israel for 400 years. Malachi prophesied in chapter 3, verse 1, that a forerunner would announce the arrival of the king. A forerunner will announce the arrival of the king. And the, the Bible is clear that this is John. John, who is the son of Zacharias, who would become known as John the Baptist. Now imagine yourself in Israel at the time. John, you've heard of him at least if you haven't seen him or gone to him. We find out that many, many went to him, so he had a very effective ministry. But there hasn't been a prophet in Israel in four centuries. God has been completely silent in your own lifetime for over four generations. What would you feel like if you, no one, is, here you are in Israel, things are going along and going along as they have. Uh, Rome is in control. The leadership in Jerusalem is legalistic and nobody really likes them. Um, and, you know, has God forsaken us? Has he forgotten us? Is it over? Maybe it's over. Maybe he did pull his promises. And then comes this guy. And he's a wacko, is he? That's why I can't. Did you notice my title? That yelling homeless man is calling to you. What do you do? You, well, you drive right by him, is what you do after you lock the doors and roll up the windows. Oh, don't look at my grasshopper yet. He's dressed like Elijah. We don't know for sure, but it seems to be in, um, in Kings that Elijah, Elijah is wearing a hairy coat and a belt. What that hair is, we don't really know. Uh, he's living in the wilderness of the Jordan Valley in Judea. Elijah did spend time in the wilderness, and he's surviving on honey and locusts. And just so you know, in Leviticus 11.22, this is not a violation of the Mosaic Law. Of all the winged insects you can eat, locusts is one of them. There's some that you can't, but there he is. Yummy. These of, these of them you may eat, the locusts and its kinds. Uh, I, I know, and I looked at pictures of this. There's wonderful pictures. And if you've ever seen a video of a locust swarm, amazing, amazing. There's, they happen all the time. Not around here, obviously. We have swarms of other stuff. And this message is most amazing. This crazy guy in the desert, he's yelling. Well, he's not really yelling. He's proclaiming. He's not crazy. I mean, if you listen to him, he's, you would find out that he's not crazy. And he's an amazing man. But he is saying something amazing. That the kingdom of heaven, that not have, we haven't been waiting for it for 400 years. We've been waiting for it forever. Since it's been announced. 
And this guy in his camel hair and locust breath <laughs> is telling everybody that it's nigh. I like that old King James English. I like that word. It's near. The Greek word says it's right at the door. I mean, it's near. This word agnizo, it means that it's not there, but it's here. And when John's, when it's said, it's in the perfect tense. This perfect tense of the word means it has been here and it's still here. So, go to Matthew 3. And again, I'm trying to put us in the situation because when we put ourselves in their situation, we're going to see more clearly how we can apply the truths of this to our own life, our own lives now. Because you and I are not Jews in the first century anticipating the Messiah. Right? We are not anything like the hearers of John. And so is there, we could say, well, this is a, a good biblical story to teach us about the forerunner, and are the, is there no application to us? But there is piles of application to us because repentance is not a one-time thing. Again, it means to turn to God in a spiritual, moral fashion. Uh, you probably did that five times already this morning, right? Like it, We do this all the time. The word repent has gotten such a stigma in Christianity that, I mean, for some, some people love to use it all the time and the rest of us don't like to use it at all because of how they're using it. And, you know, you've got to repent to be saved and all this. And, and So we'll um, start to look at this word today. And, and it's a simple word. It's a transitional word. You have to repent from something to something else. Right? When you're turning around, you're going in a different direction. So you change one direction to go in another. <clears throat> so this will help us because how are they to take this man? How are they to take his message? I mean, doesn't it sound kind of fantastic or kind of over the top? Like, you, you, you out here in the middle of nowhere are telling us, and, you're, and by the way, he's doing something that no one's ever done before. It's not that Israel didn't have washings and cleansings. They had plenty of them. Even it seems that at, for converts, they would baptize, but no one ever baptized someone else. They had this, it seems, this early baptism the Jews had, but it was really a cleansing. In other words, if you were a Gentile converting to Judaism, at one point you'd have to take a ceremonial bath. Basically, you're just taking a bath. You do it to yourself. But here we have John actually doing it to somebody else. This, the, the verb to baptize is in the passive voice. They were being baptized by John. That's never happened before. And then this guy's saying the kingdom of God is here. It's, it's not here yet. It's near, very near. In other, and if I'm telling you to repent, it's coming in your lifetime. I'm not telling your grandkids to repent or your kids to repent. I'm telling you to repent because if you don't, there's dire consequences. Because in your lifetime, this Messiah is coming. And if you reject him, what is the result of that? It's judgment. John will say the axe is already at the root of the tree. Meaning that, you know, if, if you reject this Messiah, and if you don't accept him, the tree's going to fall. 
And that doesn't mean eternal damnation for the people. It means the nation of Israel is kaput or Jerusalem. And that's exactly how it would play out. So look at Matthew 3.1. And in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <clears throat> kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, and John's ministry, John is not a warm-up act for Jesus, by the way. Because his ministry is so short, um, it's often been, you know, kind of minimized. But there's no need to do that. John had an amazing ministry. The historian Josephus even writes about how he had a large prophetic ministry with a large following. That's Josephus writing well after the fact that, you know, John was well-known. And, in fact, he was such a threat to Herod that Herod had him arrested. Not Herod the Great, but his son. This is as bad as his father. And uh, Herod had had him beheaded. So, the kingdom here, first off, before we get into the repent word, we just want to reiterate again that the kingdom of heaven is, as John presents it here, is not some earthly thing. It's not the church. It's not some spiritual, did I say not some earthly thing? <laughs> All right, let me, re, let me rewind. Um, it is not some spiritual thing. It is not some, it's not the church. It's a literal earthly kingdom promised by God through the Old Testament prophets. And it is here. If Israel accepts the Lord, we have to assume that it would be instituted. And there's, oh, oh man, there's loads and loads written about, you know, the what-ifs. But here's the thing with the what-ifs. They ain't. There's no, there's no point. There's no point in trying to wrap your mind around the what-ifs. What God does as sovereign and omniscient and omnipresent is exactly what is done. There's no other way. But when the kingdom's offered, just like... The offer to Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're offered, if you repent, this kingdom is yours. Uh, So, repent is the Greek word metanoia or uh, metanoieo. This is the verb, and this little ending, the E-I-T-E ending, shows us that it's a commandment. It's in the imperative And it's a present commandment, and present meaning that he's saying repent and repent and repent and repent. And then he baptizes them. Well, hold on. They confess their sins, particular sins, and they are specific. In Malachi, in the prophecy about him to come, he would ask the people to acknowledge their particular sins. And we find out in John's gospel, in John's account. By the way, this John the Baptist is in all four gospels. In John, the gospel of John's account, they ask John the Baptist, what are we supposed to do? And John gives them instructions on being gracious. It's really interesting. We can't fit it all in in one hour, so you have to stick with me all week with John. I'm not going to get in the burlap all week either. So Unless you want, if you want me to, I'm sure I will. I'll do whatever for my congregation. But um, this, this is a complete change of attitude, a spirit, which is spiritual and moral towards God. 
Uh, it's a call to the nation as a people to repair their relationship with God who called them out of the families of, of the earth. And, you know, we don't have here the forerunner saying, you know what, guys, don't change a thing. You're all doing awesome. That's not the message. The message is you're cheating. You're cheating. He does call them adulter- adulterers. They are, <laughs> and it, perhaps it's because God has been silent for 400 years. They're actually just living the way that they want. And they know, but here's the thing, they know the Mosaic Law, they're following it, you know, with lip service and stuff, but they're really not. Their heart isn't in it. And now, if the Messiah comes, and see, there's all kinds of questions, maybe they pop up in your head, is that, is this to Israel and to this, maybe even to this, just this generation, do they have to work to be saved? In other words, you don't repent and get your life right, then you're not going to be saved. And this, you know, we say, well, wait a minute. That's not right, is it? And it's not. It is not right. So what John is after here is to tell them that, look, when your Messiah comes, who is going to be Jesus of Nazareth, if you have a proud heart as an Israelite in this generation, and it really would apply to all generations of all people, are you going to accept Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah? When, you know, to you're like, to God, whatever. Like, you're, here you are, a Jew, you're brought up in the law, you're brought up as a worshiper of the one true God, and you don't worship the one true God. You reject the, the law. You, basically, you don't care about it. You have no fear of God. But you're the people of, God, you're the people of the world who should have a fear of God. And you have none. And then here comes the Messiah. What you're going to do, what we see in the Gospels, they do. Some accept him and the rest go, no way that this guy is the Messiah. From Na- There's no prophets from Nazareth. He's not a learned man. He's from Galilee. They don't accept him. And John is preparing them for that. So John would call them to confess their sins. There would be specific sins. And then he would baptize them in the Jordan. And this baptism would be um, a cleansing. Right? That's what water does. It's a cleansing. Now, if they get baptized by John, are they saved eternally? Well, the book of Acts brings this out for us. And the answer is no. Right? That's kind of what I was getting at when I came out as John. If you have some ideas about what this is all about, and maybe you're right, I hope you are, but there's things here that I think all of us can learn. Uh, This preparation is exactly what I said. It's a preparation for the soon coming king. And so uh, look at 311. And 311, as for me... John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now the fire, well, it's likely, we have to say likely, because the Lord doesn't really define it, but 
It seems to be his second advent when he comes and judges. So it makes sense because fire is generally judgment with God. And so, but for us, there we have this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, John says in, in the other Gospels, well, he says it here too, he's mightier than me. So this baptism of John, the water baptism, is getting Israel ready, cleansing for the acceptance of their Messiah. You know, look, if you're Israelites and you reject God, you reject his law, you reject his authority, and then he sends his son and says, believe in him, what are you going to do? Accept him? You're not. So we say, well, well, okay, hold on, hold on. So what about here in the future? Everybody has to repent to be saved. And, you know, that's a tricky question because, again, remember, repent means to change your heart. So if I'm, I'm not a Jew in the first century, I'm a Gentile roaming around on earth, and I don't think that I need a Savior at all. And why would I think that? Because of the fall? Because I'm proud? We're all born with pride. I don't need him. I don't need, I don't need a, a Messiah. I don't need a Savior the people who accept the gospel, and so, but for Israel, you know, so are there some in Israel that are like, yeah, naturally humble? So they're like, you know what, I, I, knew, a I knew I needed a Messiah. I've been waiting for someone to confess my sins to. No. It's the message of John. John is sent by God to give this message. Right? This is where they hear it from. It's the forerunner. It's his job. He does a marvelous job at it. But there's no John now. But there is someone better than John. And he's convicting the whole world about their sin. And that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit into the world and he's going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because they don't believe in me. Right, So there, there's a John the Baptist roaming around in everybody's heart, convicting every heart of their sinfulness. In many different ways he's doing this. No two people get saved in the same exact experience, do they? Nobody. I've, I've heard tons of salvation stories. They're all wonderful. No two are alike. But what is common amongst them all is all of us came to realize through the Spirit and through that gospel message, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, that we were in dire need of salvation. That's why there's people in this world that say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's a great guy. That's not salvation, is it? These people believe he's another Plato, you know, or another nice guy, or another teacher, or another moralist. But he's far, far more than that. So he's going to baptize you. So therefore, oh, where am I? Repentance and faith are not the same. Faith in the Messiah would bring a final cleansing. John's baptism did not save anybody. And I find that wonderful. John's, uh, so repentance and faith are not the same. 
We're, we're going to look at uh, John a bit more this week, and we're going to definitely look at baptism. We have to look at the baptism of our Lord. And it seemed odd that John is baptizing sinners, and then he baptizes Christ. And even to John it was odd, wasn't it? He said, I don't need, you need to baptize me. And Christ said, no, 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 baptize me. And it was necessary, Jesus said. It was absolutely necessary. Then we come to see why. Jesus is baptism. Now, baptism means to immerse, but immerse means to identify. I mean, if you're identified, you're immersed in it, you know. So, Jesus' baptism is about his own identification with his death, burial, and resurrection. It's his own identification with the very last act of his life. When he gets baptized by John, he is, he is identifying himself with his willingness to die on the cross and then to be resurrected. And so here comes, you believe in Christ now, and here comes your baptism. When does it happen? I'm not talking about water baptism. We'll talk about that a bit. If you want to get water baptized, I, I would love to water baptize you. We'll pick the coldest river. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We'll heat up a little pool or whatever we have to do. We'll do it. I think it's wonderful to do. It's definitely not necessary for salvation. Not necessary at all. So when you were baptized, John said it. John himself knew. And this is made clear. My baptism isn't saving anybody. My baptism is getting you ready for the Messiah to accept him which they're going to reject him. But, and it goes to show John's baptism is not a, a nation changer. It's not a heart changer either. We even find in the book of Acts that those who were baptized by John, in Acts chapter 19, Paul runs across him in Ephesus. And Paul says, were you baptized? By whom were you baptized? And they said, we were baptized in the baptism of John. And Paul baptizes them again. And it's a confusing passage, I know. But one thing it shows us is that John's baptism is not a permanent cleansing thing. But when he said, the one who's greater than me is going to come and he's going to baptize you, what is he baptizing you with? The Spirit, God himself. We realize we don't... It, it's easy to think that God, the Holy Spirit, is some kind of like he's third on the totem pole, right? His father's son and then the poor guy at the bottom. Who's like the you know the black sheep in the family or something, but he's just as much co-eternal and co-equal with the entire Trinity. And imagine you're not being identified with water. You're not being identified with uh, some ritual. You're being identified with God Himself. And what does this mean of you? This is what the gospel opens up for us. It's big picture stuff in the gospels. That when the Lord Jesus Christ came and baptized you, he entered you, this is in Romans 6, into identification with him in his death. You died when he died. You crucified when he's crucified. You went into the grave when he went into the grave. And you rose again when he rose again. And Paul says in Romans 6, so that means a purpose. You will walk in newness of life. And you know, in newness of life, there's so many things to say about newness of life, but one of the things, if you listen to Thursday's message, it was a wonderful, I had so much fun on Thursday talking about pride. And that how pride has come to all of us in our fall. We're all infected with it. 
and walking in newness of life, as you grow, it's like a bloodletting. Trying to think of the word, like, you know, when you're, it's drained out of you. It can't, it won't come out all at once, sadly. But I think that's part of the process. Because if you don't, if you're the person who doesn't think you're proud, oh, buddy, you're the worst. Congratulations. Uh, we all are, we're far more proud than we think we are. And as we progress, we find this out. Little things we say, things we do, thoughts in our head. You know what pride is? Pride is, and what we did with pride, um, yeah, I can move on to this right now, right? Yeah. What we did with pride, what we did when we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we said, God, we want to be gods like you, knowing good and evil. So we're going to give ourselves all the good stuff you give us, but we're going to give it to ourselves. We don't need you. Right? What did God provide for them in the garden? He provided it. He didn't say, hey, what kind of trees would you like me to plant? What kind of fruit do you like? This is not a market. He pre-ordered. <laughs> and he sent in the, the particular, these are the trees that are good for sight. These are the trees that are good for your body. These are the ones that are good to eat. Here's the one that's the tree of life. I chose that. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it. I chose that. I choose everything. And then we said, you know what? If we become gods, we get to choose for ourselves and provide for ourselves all that we need and all that we want. And God, you can stay over there. Carve out our little place in the universe that's just ours. And that's what we thought would happen. Oh, what a disaster. What a complete disaster. How are we going to give to ourselves what we thought we could? Without God? And we're just cursed. We're cursed people trying to alleviate the pain of our curse. But we can't. And thank God we can't. Because if we could alleviate our pain, which is what the human race is trying to do all along, is to anesthetize the pain, then we'll never know our need to return. It's the pain that brings us back. Just like the prodigal son, it's the pain who bring, brings him back. C.S. Lewis has a marvelous book on this called The Problem of Pain. I recommend it to you all. It's short, too, it's, but it's packed. It's just so wonderful. But what we have put in ourselves by eating, by falling, is pride. I mean, the message is so easy, isn't it? Repent, confess your sins, and that's it. Be baptized by me and be cleansed. And then when the Messiah comes, you'll be like, God, you know what John showed us? John showed us that we're all violators of the law. John showed God, we had to confess. John was like, you confess your sins. And if you said to John, um, all right, uh, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I'm a sinner, he'd be like, uh-uh. I want to know particulars. Kind of like Father Maha at Blessed Sacrament Church. I went to confession once, and that was the one and only time. I never felt so low like a smushed bug my whole life, and it was terrible. And I, I didn't even know what sin was at the time. I just made them up, and I still felt terrible. But John's going to be like, no, you tell me. What are your sins? 
And then when you're cleansed, what is that? Who's cleansing? You cleansing yourself? No. The messenger of John, the messenger of God is in ceremony. It's ceremony. Jews know all about ceremony. It is cleansing you. And so this cleansing isn't from yourself. This is all preparing them for when Jesus the Messiah comes, the Jesus of Nazareth. That they're ready for him. Look, Israel needs their Messiah, and you know it makes perfect sense that he is who he is. But they won't. Now why is that? Because they're Jews? Because they're anti we're anti Semitic? Stupid Jews. No. Scratch that from the tape. Somebody will take that. Yeah, latest message from Pastor Joe. Stupid Jews. Theologia Germanica. When's the last time you read this uh, particular periodical? But it's this great quote. Since the life of Christ is every way most bitter to nature and the self and the me, for in the true life of Christ, the self and the me and nature must be forsaken and lost and die altogether. Therefore, in each of us, nature hath a horror of it. Of what? Of Christ. The life of Christ. It's death to you. It's death to your pride. This is why we don't. Even as believers, when God says, you need to change that. Oh, man. We'll be, and what? here's what we do. And we'll pay enough homage to God to try and make him go away. It's kind of like paying a little tithe. And then leave me alone. How much of your heart does God want? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you this part. And then could that, you know, could you just go away and leave me alone? If God goes away and leaves you alone, that's less love, not more love. And God cannot have less love. The reason why God is a consuming fire, when we hear consuming fire, don't we think of judgment? The reason why God is a consuming fire, because his love is a consuming fire. He will not quit on you until you change completely into the image of his son. He is not going to stop. Thank God he's patient because he knew it would kill us. So he doesn't stop. He's not going to stop until you change. So there's areas in your soul, those hidden rooms in your soul that you have been hiding away or they're your own little pet little playrooms. He's not going to quit on them. And that is why we resist repentance. Christ means death to the flesh and death to the world. The whole system is going to go kaput. That's a German word, isn't it? Kaput, Germanica. Uh, so it's no wonder that the world hates him. He said this, the world hates me. Of course it does. Because he means death to it and to your flesh. Israel in the first century and you in the 21st century have not lived in the Garden of Eden. We were not brought up in that place, nor were we brought up with perfect bodies. We uh, have had to deal with our frailties that we inherited, and we have also had to deal with the abuse at some level, you know, again, I said this in another class this week that I hate to talk about the abuse of others because some have gotten so much more than I have. 
but I am convinced that every single person has been abused at some level. You were to be loved and you weren't. You were to be accepted and you weren't. People were to be fair to you and they weren't. And a lot of that has happened because we're in a world full of wicked people and you get wicked people in the same room and they're going to be wicked to each other. All we need is contact. And we have it. Now, especially with the Internet, we really have it. So, we weren't brought up in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, there had to be at least a minimal submission to God, which I think it was easy to do. But there's the tree to the knowledge of good and evil. Today, I must not eat of that. And once I do that, I have this rapturous delight in worshiping my God. And I'm perfect. But you and I have been brought up with a self-will that over the years has been swollen and inflamed with years of usurpation. To surrender the self-will of so inflamed and that is so inflamed and swollen with years of usurp, usurpation is a death. Death to you. That's why we resist it. We all remember this self-will as it was in childhood. Like a little kid's bitter, prolonged rage at every thwarting, the burst of passionate tears, the black satanic wish to kill or die rather than give in. I got that from C.S. Lewis's book. I love it. Thinking of a little kid who has a black satanic wish to kill you rather than to give in. Fortunately, they're not big and strong enough to do it. But I think if they could, they probably would kill us all. You say, no, you can't have that. They go, oh, yeah, okay, I understand. Just walk through Safeway or Walmart for a few minutes. You'll hear them screaming, especially around Christmas time. But we have grown up and learned not to howl and stamp as much. And why is that? It's not acceptable in society. And our passions as we grow older become a little more subtle, a little more controlled. But yet they are there. And we think maybe because we don't stamp and howl as much that God is pleased with us. Here's the thing about pride. It's deceptive. All of us have to take an evaluation here, which I know we do every time we hear the word of God, we do. God is going to ask us here in these passages, do you know what I'm working on? Have you, has everything changed in you? And you're like, what? Have reached the level of spiritual maturity that uh, you have nowhere else to go, no higher to climb, you're at the peak? Of course you're not. And so there's things that we need to change, things that we need to learn. And here's the other thing. We have a father who loves us. Not a tyrant, a father who gave his son to die for us. His love of us is more than we can possibly imagine. And so we um, are going to be treated with grace and forgiveness and patience. But that doesn't mean that he's going to let up on changing. If we take too long, he's going to up the, uh, turn up the heat. And we all know this. You're all old enough in Christianity to have experienced it. So, when it comes to um, the death of the flesh, right, as uh, 
this guy, whoever wrote that, I don't know, it's a publication, I don't know who wrote it, but it's a death to us all. What does God tell us in terms of dying in our experiences that he tells us to die daily? And that doesn't mean self-mortification. In a way it does, but not, not in the way of an ascetic. Uh, it means that you and I recognize every single day that the only reason we're alive is because of Christ. John baptized with water. Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when he baptized you with the Holy Spirit, he identified with you to his death, in his death on the cross. So the baptism of Christ, my last, last one here, and we'll celebrate Lord's Supper. The baptism of Christ, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is crucifixion in resurrection. You're alive now to walk with Christ. And you'll never die. You never lose it. If your pride grows, you'd never lose it. But what repentance is, which is this constant course correction, that's a good word for it. Uh, it's a constant course correction. is a bloodletting of pride. All right, let's celebrate our Lord's Supper. And we'll just pass out our elements. And uh, I'm going to be in Matthew 26. I'll use that as my, my backdrop if you want to join. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Kathy.
So um, now here we are again at, at this table uh, where we together, it's meant to be celebrated together, and the, um, the, the purpose of it is to remind us of the reason why we have the life that we do. And I can see that as time goes on, I think for me, and probably you have the same experience, is um, it, it can be, as you get absorbed with whatever in life, that you can forget the real reason why you can actually do what you do. And doing good, and I mean by God's standard, good, is an absolute miracle for you and me. And the reason why we can do it is because he killed us. He didn't remake us. He didn't remodel. He killed. And the way he did it, and I, you know, if I say God to say, well, I have to kill you to make you alive again, that's uh, <laughs> a bummer. And uh, I don't know, am I going to have the courage to go through something like that? Absolutely not. None of us could. But the death that we're talking about here is something far greater than than physical death, isn't it? When Christ said from the cross, it is finished, he was still alive. Christ went to hell for us. And that's what he wants us to remember. His, the incredible, this man, this great, sinless, perfect man came into the world to die. Um, that myrrh, that one of the Magi gave to him, or the Magi gave to him, is, is just for that reason. It's an anointing of a dead body. And yet, he's as horrid as his death, he is resurrected. And so, this baptism of the Spirit, as John said, one is coming is mightier than I. I baptize you with water. He baptized you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is a baptism of Romans 6. That the Apostle Paul would discover and write about how we we are immersed into the grave, and and this is we don't have to actually go into a grave. He went on our behalf, and so for us, death has lost its sting. Right? We have no fear of it. At least we shouldn't, because that's a passage. That's a passage from this life to the next. It's just a change of station. It's not. An end. This prophetic announcement by John looks forward to the last act of Christ's life, his cross and resurrection. You know, I think of one of our listeners, um, Susan Reich, uh, she lives in Flagstaff. I think it's Flagstaff, isn't it? in Arizona, northern Arizona. And uh, her mom is 104 years old. And she just went home to the Lord about about two weeks ago, maybe maybe less, between a week and two weeks ago. But the, the, for Susan, uh, her mom was like a, a dear friend of hers, 104, and then home. You know, we miss, we miss those that we've lost. There's a few that I've lost that I miss terribly. But I will see them again. And why do we have that confidence? This is why Christ brings us back to this table. So that we, we always give the glory and the credit to him. So we are baptized, not by John's water baptism, but by Christ's Holy Spirit 
that makes us alive forever. And so in Matthew 26, 26, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Let's eat the body of Christ, the bread, together. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Then he says, But I say to you, I will not drink the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. See that kingdom? That's a real, literal kingdom. And someday we're going to have the most delicious, wonderful wine with our Lord in his kingdom. Until that day, he told us to drink together. So in honor of our Lord and his redemption of us, let's drink the cup. That sweet, the sweetness of his life is in that grape. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be together and to celebrate this supper, to bring to our memory the, the amazing sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, a man that none of us could hope to be even close in emulation, but from whom you have given us life and power and wisdom and might, and honor, and it's all through him. Our life is his life. Our walk is his walk. Our cross is his cross. And may we, Father, with the courage that you've given us, be able to walk what you have willed us to do, but always keeping in mind that we die daily because every day we are in union with Christ in his death. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. I would take our offering at this time, and that should do it. I tell everybody you said that? He said he's a short version of Grant. That means the smaller offering, the bigger, the taller you are, the bigger the offering. Or it could be reversed because, right, God does everything kind of like backwards. Anyway, let me be quiet and pray for our offering. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give. And as your priests, we worship you and honor you in our giving. And that's who we give to is to you. Uh, Father, may we as a church continue to use what you give us with wisdom and always to your glory. We ask in Christ's name, amen.
That's the longest we've played that song. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for our gathering and being together. Thank you for your gift of your love, the gift of your son. Um, For our closing moments, they're always dedicated to anyone listening who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior. If you're listening and haven't believed upon him, uh, if you're listening, you must be considering, and I beg you to please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the only Savior of the world. All of us 